Welcome to The Art of Medicine, the program that explores the arts, business, and clinical aspects of the practice of medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Wilner. But before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsor, locumstory.com. If you're considering locum tenants, either full-time or on the side, you probably have a question or two, or 20. Fortunately, locumstory.com has the answers you need. It's packed with unbiased information and advice from physicians. Locumstory.com has nothing to sell. It's simply an information resource. You'll find super handy tools that let you see locums trends for your specialty, compare different locums agencies, and there's even a quiz to help you decide if locums is right for you. Locumstory.com is the perfect place to start if you want to learn more about locums. And now, without further ado, I'd like to introduce my guest, Dr. Sharif. Welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So, Serene, you have been a locum tenens doctor, and you have an interesting story to tell about how you came to be where you are. So tell me first, what are you doing now? I am doing, um, I'm doing part-time and uh, with a direct contract with a hospital. Okay. Part-time what? Still, what are you doing? Oh, I, I do trauma acute care surgery. Trauma acute. So that means, you know, where I work uh, here in uh, Memphis, Regional One, it is the trauma center for 200 mile radius. And, you know, I try and stay away from there because there's <laughs> there's a lot of movement, right? <laughs> so as, as a trauma surgeon, you have to be there like now, like right, right away. Correct. Yes. So we actually take in-house call. I work at a level two trauma center and we are in-house while we're on call because um, our response time, if there is a trauma, has to be pretty much immediate. Right. So for neurology, we talk about time as brain, you know, but when the artery is like pumping blood out, like uh, <laughs> seconds actually uh, yes. matter. Right. But I understand you have three children. So somehow that seems a little incompatible just on the face of it. Is that incompatible? Actually, I would say that the my work-life integration now is the best that it's ever been, uh, as opposed to full-time practice and uh, a variety of other things that I tried before I came to my current position. So trial and error, it sounds mm -hmm. like, uh, yes. got you. So well, let's go back then. So you finished your, well, uh, you, you start. Where do you want to start with this journey? I'm not sure when the children showed up. Or when you decided that, oh, I've got to be a trauma surgeon. When did that happen? Sure. And I would say that um, as you're going to hear my story, you're going to hear a lot of trial and errors along the way. Um, I did want to just acknowledge, um, I wish that I had had a resource uh, like you were sharing uh, earlier, uh, because when I started really, I really had to piece together the information uh, myself and there weren't a lot of places for me to compare. So it was a lot more time investment to figure out what locums might fit for me. You know, is locums even a right option for me, et cetera. So I think that that's helpful as a resource for people. Um, so really my story just kind of started with experiencing burnout through 
part of residency and then in full-time practice. And I have, um, I trained at a, a, a very intensive um, uh, general surgery program. We did a lot of trauma acute care. And honestly, I never wanted to do it again. I was like, no, I've, I've done enough to last me a lifetime. And I don't think this is what I want to do. Um, I was uh, very interested in the acute care part. Uh, but, um, you know, one of my concerns were that if I did do trauma acute care surgery, how would that really affect my home life? You know, will I have time flexibility, et cetera? And um, where I did my training too, you know, our trauma surgeons were there all the time. You know, they, it appeared as if they had no life. So um, for all of those factors, you know, that was sort of really bottom of my list. And uh, then what happened was I, um, so that was an academic program. I did two years of, you know, bench research, uh, the whole deal. And then I decided, oh, you know, no, I'm going to do private practice. So I did a few years of private practice and realized that um, I, uh, I like being part of a team and I wanted to be at a place where um, maybe a little bit, you know, a little bit more community-based setting, et cetera. So then I switched and I tried community-based practice. So now I've tried like three different practice models. And um, and through this, I had three children. I had a one child during medical school, one in residency and one in practice. So uh, I've, I've had the gamut. And um, when I was in practice uh, doing the community-based, uh, you know, at the community-based hospital, um, they had uh, trauma in addition to acute care. And I said, you know, by that point, my residency memories were had faded a little bit. And I said, oh, I think I could, you know, that's fine. I, I guess I'll, I'll take that as part of the job. And I realized that I really did enjoy it. You know, I enjoyed the mix. Um, I did both uh, elective practice as well as uh, trauma and acute care surgery. And in my elective practice, I did a lot of oncology, you know, hernia surgeries, robotics, et cetera. So I had a very full spectrum of practice. Um, I, I enjoyed my job, but as you can imagine with a practice like that, I, I really didn't have much of a life. And, um, and at that point I had experienced enough to know that, you know, it's not going to change if I go to another hospital or try another practice model. Um, I considered locums at that time, and there were really just not great opportunities to fit what I was looking for, because I really didn't want to travel too far from home. I wanted to be uh, be able to um, do smaller, you know, like shorter shifts kind of thing. So, um, so that wasn't an option, but my job was um, kind enough to let me try maybe taking some, you know, cutting down my hours. And so I experimented with that. And I tried a lot of different ways to bring some ease into my life. Because uh, by that time, I think burnout was pretty bad. And um, I was really not happy. I felt pulled in so many different directions. And I wanted to do what was right for my patients and for my workplace and for my family. And, you know, and it was just not possible to meet all of those um, conflicting needs. And I started feeling like I was like, you know, one of those like tug of war things that get pulled. So, um, so about that time, my children started struggling a lot more at home. Um, I've always had a full spectrum of help at home because obviously there's no other way to do this. So I've, you know, I've had nannies, I've had, um, you know, multiple babysitters, like 
all of the all of the multiple components for support at home. And they were really struggling. My oldest at that time was um, in his early teens. And my youngest was uh, about four. And um, to the point that I would come home and, you know, there's tantrums and tears and just general, general struggle. And I started wondering, what am I doing? You know, like, what am I actually doing in my life? And what do I need to do? Because I have already done the max that I can where I am. There's no other, you know, adjustments to be made there. Uh, so I, I went in the next day and I handed in my resignation letter. I had no idea what I was going to do. But I just knew that I had hit the rock bottom where I was and I needed to sort of reset my life and figure out what I wanted. So work-life so, balance, work-life balance. Mm -hmm. It wasn't yeah. balanced. No, no. <laughs> it was like the most unbalanced. You know, it was, um, I was miserable. I felt like everyone around me was miserable. And it just wasn't, um, you know, it just wasn't really what I thought I was going to be doing or where I would be as far as being able to um, to find that integration and balance, especially when I felt like I was really trying my hardest, you know, my best. There was nothing more I had to give. So you enjoyed your work. You loved your work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, at, well, at that point, I, I hated. I would say it's fair to say I hated everything. I, I hated coming home and I hated going to work. There was no other place. So, you know, but I, I recognized that it was a factor um, of just, again, too much, you know, too many things pull in and, um, and feeling like there, there was no more space to give. And um, so when I resigned, to be honest with you, at that time, I had no idea what I was going to do. And one of the things that I was told is, well, this is, this is it, you know, if, if this is the best it's going to be. So if you are, you know, if you're quitting, if you're resigning, right, then that means that you're not going to be a surgeon anymore. And so that was a very difficult uh, realization and um, space that I had to really, you know, even investigate in my head. I mean, is this what I want? Because I did love being a surgeon. I just didn't want to work those many hours in a way that I felt like I had no time or energy to do anything else in my life. Let me ask you a question. Now, uh, a few weeks ago, I interviewed uh, Heather Fork and Heather is a coach and a lot of physicians come to her when they're in that situation. It's like, you know, I, I'm doing what I think I should be doing, but it is not working. And I don't know if I should leave medicine altogether. Did, for example, did you consider non-clinical careers at that point? So um, I, I did consider non-clinical careers at that point, but the... Um... Again, finding something that fit my location needs and my, you know, uh, flexibility, that was hard. I considered locums at that point. So there were many things that I considered even before I had, um, I had made that, you know, call that I was going to resign. Did you have a coach? Um, did you I have did a coach? Have a, you I did, did have, have a coach. coach. Yeah, I did have a coach, but it wasn't a um, career or a personal coach. So I actually started getting coaching um, through two 
other avenues. One was through my insurance. So there are some insurances where they'll give you, you know how you get extra points if you do wellness activities and yeah. coaching, coaching was one of them. Wow. And yeah, it was amazing. That was the first time I had a coach and it was covered by insurance. In fact, they gave me extra points for doing it. So I was like, oh, it's like a win-win. So um, I did that and um, she gave me enough enough of a worldview to know that I was truly miserable and to know that, you know, I had hit that space of no return. Like there's nothing more I can do where I was. So it was helpful, but it wasn't, you know, um, it wasn't a very in-depth, it was really meant more to be like a health coaching or a, like a generalized wellness coaching. Then the other uh, space that I explored was, cause I thought the big problem was parenting. So I, I um, went to a parenting coach and I started exploring, okay, how do I become a better parent? Cause maybe if I'm a better parent, you know, maybe if I do, you know, like can connect with my kids, even in that, those short hours that I'm home, that they're awake, then maybe there wouldn't be so many tears and struggles at home. And um, that also was helpful because it helped me realize that, I was already doing a fine job as a mom. It wasn't because, you know, I was a terrible mom or I wasn't showing up or any of those things. What I was really struggling with personally was that I wasn't living congruent with what my life vision was. And Which is what? Took, what did you want to do? What was well, your vision? Yeah, what I well, what I wanted to do was um, I wanted to practice medicine in a way that uh, still allowed me time to do things you know, other things in my life that I cared about, um, including being present with my kids, but also maybe, you know, time for myself, me having time for my own fitness and nutrition and things like that. Um, having time to do things in the community that are important to me, um, et cetera. So um, really it came right down to time. But that's you know, not a traditional model for mm -hmm. a trauma surgeon. Mm -hmm. You're right. 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 It's yeah. not. Yeah, absolutely. So is you it know, possible to do both? Absolutely. I'm living proof you can. <laughs> um, so the first thing I would say is whatever people tell you is not possible. It's actually just, it's not true. Um, and uh, through this journey, I have met so many amazing individuals who have really very creatively found solutions to what they want to do and still practice medicine in a way that fulfilled, you know, I mean, they were able to do both. Now I'm not practicing full time. So could I do more within, you know, my career? Um, could I like publish or could I do research or could I do, you know, teach like I mean, all of those things are possible. And I think each of us, we really have to explore what is it that we want in our life? What are the things that are important? And now how do you create that in a way that is meaningful and reasonable? <laughs> So no. describe to me now your typical day. All right. It's Monday morning, 7 a.m. What happens? Well, every day is different. Um, so um, and and over the last five years, I have done a full spectrum of, of like, you know, different types of locums. I've done a just general surgery. I've done trauma acute care. Um, I've done actually some elective practice and, and things as well, um, which I do miss, you know, that. I'm not doing that, but it was a trade-off. And uh, I think, you know, for me, the trade-off was, um, was worth it. Um, so again, you have to kind of think, you know, well, since we're, since, I'm, since we're talking about locums, tell us a little bit about the locums experiences. How did you uh, find these positions? And did they pay well? Were they fun? Did you hate them? Did you love them? Were you away from home too much? What, what was the sort of takeaway? 
So the best thing about locums is if you hate it, you don't have to go back. Okay. So, um, you know, so, so it was actually easier almost to go into something with really no expectations. You're going there, you're going there to help the other, you know, the surgeons who are there have a break. Um, you're going there to help fulfill a need. And so um, I felt like the most favorite person in the hospital when I was there because they really, you know, we were their relief and, or I was their relief. So um, I was very much valued. I think that was a shift um, uh, from uh, some of the employed model. You know, one of the things that I've struggled with is that one, you know, it's like the honeymoon phase. Once you're employed and you're there, then, you know, somehow like every year the value seems seems to keep going down. So, um, right. anyway, I want to, I so- want to <laughs> second that it's when I worked locums, you know, I'd show up and it's like, hello, I'm Dr. Willer. Oh, Dr. Willer. It's great that you're here. And I figure, well, <laughs> it's because of my, you know, my wonderful reputation, but mostly it was because they really needed someone. And as long as I was breathing, this was great. Right. And, Absolutely. and I've heard that from other locums doctors mm-hmm. that, it, you know, you walk into a place and all of a sudden you are valued. That's the mm-hmm. word you used and appreciated. Whereas, you know, when you're conventionally employed, there's sort of, well, maybe uh, taken for granted a little bit yeah. uh, year after year. Uh, so Which it is, is really a- sad, it's, you know, yeah. I mean, that's, it's, I know it's the culture and it's the culture everywhere. So it's not, you know, one unique place, but that's kind of sad because I, I think that if, um, if the employed physicians were valued and they felt like, you know, they had some autonomy and, you know, all of the things that we talk about, right. I, I don't know that there would be such a need for locums, <laughs> but there is so much, I mean, every place that I've been to, there's been such a high need because even in trauma, acute care surgery, there's such a high need because, um, because there's, you know, I mean, there's such turnover and, um, some places struggle with it more than others, but it's, you know, I mean, I've uh, done locums in Oklahoma, Indiana, um, let's see, uh, Ohio, and now I'm in Virginia. So everywhere. It's the same, same story. And uh, if I wanted to work every day of the month, I mean, honestly, there's a need for that. So how many days so, a month do you work as a physician? Uh, it varies um, anywhere between four to 10, 12 days. Um, I think 14 um, would be considered maybe full-time. Um, uh, like when I talk to the full-time surgeons, that's, you know, 14 to 16 shifts well, is what they 24, do. 7 so, kind of. Um, so we do, uh, where I am, uh, we do 12 hour shifts, but then we also provide backup care at some point if you're on call during the day. Uh, and, um, it's really a great model. You know, I think that there's definitely enough time built in to avoid that burnout, um, uh, factor. Um, it's not perfect, but you know, no, some physicians are concerned that if they work locums part-time, they're not going to earn enough. Has that been an issue? Not not for me. No. Uh, so the main thing is considering, uh, could I make more money if, uh, if I worked full time? Absolutely. But when I look at my, the quality of my life right now, the ability to do what I want to do and, um, being able to still practice medicine in a way that is meaningful for me, I think what I make is perfect. You know, it allows me to do all of those things. What about when you come home? Is there still a lot of crying? 
No, because, you know, they know that I'm, I'm home, obviously, a lot more than I was before. And I think the biggest difference is before um, I carried my pager, uh, or, you know, uh, it's really the cell phone, uh, we don't really carry pages as much anymore. So, um, but, you know, I was always connected, um, they could always call me back, there were, you know, things that I needed to address. And, and also, I'm exhausted. So the, the, quality of my own presence is very different. Whereas now, um, I think um, my oldest is now 17. And um, my youngest is nine. And the relationship that I have with them individually is amazing. They, um, all three of them, including my 17 year old, you know, they find time to come and talk to me, they want to know um, how I can help them, you know, the things that they struggle with, they have also matured in the way they manage it because of the conversations that we've had and the ability and time really, you know, you can't, I mean, if you don't have time, you can't do any of these things, but the time that they know I'm always there for them. Um, this year, I'm actually going to be homeschooling or we just started today was our first day. We just started, um, I'm going to be homeschooling my youngest. Um, and in 2020, I actually homeschooled my then seventh grader and second grader. And I would never have been able to do that if I was obviously a full time um, trauma surgeon. So I think the flexibility in um, supporting my children in a way that is meaningful to me and to them um, has been amazing. And, um, you know, with locums, the the beautiful thing is you really can do as much or as little as you want. And so I know that, you know, if at some point they're all going to grow up and they're not going to need me anymore. And if at that time, if I want to work more, that, you know, I haven't closed any bridges or doors. I can you know, I can shift and pivot as I need to in the future. So this is perfect for what I need right now. Now, what would your advice be to a uh, young woman who's graduating her general surgery residency and looking for her first job? Um, <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, so I would say to find a job that fits the practice model that you like and um, recognize that there is, you know, um, I know that the old, the model was that, you know, you found a job and you were there for 30 years or 40 years and then you retired from there. And um, so I felt a lot of pressure to find that perfect job at that right job. But the reality is that that's really not the, you know, that's not what I see in practice with my colleagues. Um, people move, people change life changes. So don't stress about finding the perfect job, find a job that fits what you need with where you are right now. And um, I do think that location does matter. And, um, and I think that, you know, looking at what is your time off spectrum, you know, how much time do you have between shifts or time so that you also have a chance to be human and not just like, surgeon on call, surgeon backup. So, you know, you, you got to have some time just to be human, to do whatever it is that you want to do. Um, and that's, I think, an important part of avoiding burnout. Now, Serena, are you working kind of on the side as a coach? Or do you offer advice or are you just a friendly ear on the end of the phone to uh, <laughs> other physicians? How are you managing that? 
Yeah, I do. Uh, I do coaching as well. Um, I found it so incredibly valuable in my life. And as I started becoming more and more aware, when I first experienced, you know, when I was going through burnout, honestly, I, I didn't quite recognize what it was initially. And then when I did, I thought, oh, this is a, a me problem, and I need to fix myself. And so there was a lot of isolation and shame in that whole journey. And um, I think finding um, coaching really changed uh, my own narrative and my own experience of what burnout was and how do I overcome it. And, um, and then as I started to share more, I realized there are so many others who are either going through it, suffering silently, or they have gone through it. And they've come to that space of, okay, this is what works in my life. And so um, a lot of what I do is really uh, raising awareness, um, advocating and uh, providing tools and coaching to help with uh, burnout, whether someone wants to do full-time practice, part-time practice, non-clinical career, uh, or, you know, um, or not do anything within medicine, but do something else, you know, whatever it might be. Um, I coach uh, on how to really create that intentional change. Um, I uh, am huge. Uh, I'm a huge believer in uh, habit habit building, time management mm. and productivity, which honestly came way before my whole coaching experience. Cause you know, those were the things that really helped me stay sane in my um, full-time surgeon mom life. Um, I think those tools are great, but no matter how, you know, awesome habits you have and, you know, how productive you are. Um, I think the other aspect of coaching um, that I really enjoyed and have added to my life and for my clients is mindfulness and self-love and self-compassion and how do you create that intentionality and you know living authentically like all of those things are also important and we want to balance both how would someone get in touch with you if they wanted to uh, learn more yeah, absolutely. They can. Um, so I have a podcast as well. It's called Mindfulness and Productivity Systems Podcast on iTunes and all of the major platforms. So they can do that uh, as well as um, I'm on social media, uh, Instagram uh, and uh, Facebook, um, Facebook, just under my name, Serene Sharif and uh, Instagram is um, uh, Serene. <laughs> so they can reach me through that. Well, I think Serene sounds like uh, your mother knew what she was talking about, right? When uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, they were Sh they were hopeful. Let's just say. Apparently, I was a very, uh, you know, I was a very serene baby. But um, when I was, you know, in utero, I was a pretty busy baby. So they were hoping I'd be more serene coming out. <laughs> well, Doctor Serene Sharif, I want to thank you very much for joining me on the Art of Medicine. Thank you. Well, before we close, I'd like to give another thanks to our sponsor, locumstory.com, a resource where providers can get unbiased answers to all their questions about locum tenants. Thanks for joining me and see you next time. This program is hosted, edited, and produced by Andrew Wilner, MD, FACP, FAAN. Guests receive no financial compensation for their appearance on the art of medicine. Andrew Wilner, MD, is Associate Professor of Neurology at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center, Memphis, Tennessee. Views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on this program belong solely to Dr. Wilner and his guests 
and not necessarily to their employers, organizations, or other group or individual. While this program intends to be informative, it is meant for entertainment purposes only. The Art of Medicine does not offer professional financial, legal, or medical advice. Dr. Wilner and his guests assume no responsibility or liability for any damages, financial or otherwise, that arise in connection with consuming this program's content. Thanks for watching. For more episodes of The Art of Medicine, please subscribe www.andrewwilner.com